welcome back to the Pros and Content Podcast brought to you by Notch. This season, we're talking to digital growth and demand gen marketers about how they use audience journey strategy and metrics to accelerate business growth. I'm Ellen Schwartz, Senior Director of Demand Gen here at Notch. In this episode, I was joined by Ashley Emery, Senior Vice President of Demand Generation at Jobvite. She epitomizes knowing how your funnel is functioning. Within her first few answers, you'll hear how she's driven by data and how she looks under the hood of every stage of the customer acquisition funnel. It has been a treat to speak with every one of our guests this season, so be sure to hop back to our previous episodes. Demand generation and growth is successful when you use great data to understand what's working, and we have 10 other guests who dig into that topic. I'll be back in the next episode with a roundup of our favorite quotes and takeaways. Really quick, do me a favor and check if you are subscribed so you don't miss any episodes this season. We'll have interviews with marketers from Chili Piper, Gong, Stack Overflow, and more. Hello, and welcome back to this episode of Pros and Content. I'm your host, Ellen Schwartz, Senior Director of Demand Generation here at Notch. And I am thrilled to welcome Ashley Emery, your Senior Vice President of Demand Generation at Jobvite. Hi, Ashley. Hello. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's wonderful to have you here. Why don't we start off by just having you tell us a little bit about your career and your new role at Jobvite? Sounds good. An easy question at the top here. I have been in the B2B technology space for over a decade, leading various marketing organizations. My focus has primarily been around growth marketing and demand generation. I have worked kind of on both sides of the spectrum, both in fast-paced startup organizations. Back a handful of years ago, I was at Certify by Inverse, which is a SaaS-based expense management company. When I started there, I was the 11th employee. By the time I exited the business, we were around 300 employees. So as you can imagine, a lot of fast-paced moving growth there. I had led a team of 26 marketers by the time I had left there. So kind of a whirlwind of work there and then migrated over to Amazon, specifically AWS, which is on the other side of the spectrum, a very large corporate enterprise organization. And there, my primary uh, job was leading our demand generation for our database and infrastructure services. And then currently today, I am at Jobvite, which, as you had mentioned, lead the demand and marketing organization. And for those that aren't aware of Jobvite, we are one of the leading providers of recruiting and talent acquisition software with over 18,000 customers and three 0.1 million job openings getting moved through our system. So a lot of scale there. And as I started in this organization just a couple of months ago, my real main focus is coming in and building a scalable enterprise, go-to-market and demand generation engine that can really scale our business. That's incredible. I think it's impressive what you've been able to do at all of those particular jobs. I'm excited to dig in. I know that The reason I've invited you here and it's something that I really am excited to dig in on this particular conversation is to look at full funnel metrics. It's something that you're passionate about, not just doing, but doing well and doing supported by data. What more do you want to add to that? I love data. I am a data nerd when it comes to marketing. I feel very strongly that you cannot optimize, you cannot build cohesive strategy against things you cannot measure. So I think it is just imperative to marketing to be able to really understand the details at every level of what 
the performance marketing is. So really, you know, looking at the primary KPIs, but then lifting up the hood and getting really deep and understanding both the qualitative and quantitative data that tells the story for the performance all the way through top of funnel awareness down through conversion to customer and full life cycle. So data is something that I am really passionate about. So this is a very great topic for me. Yeah, I'm glad that you're doing it. It's not something that I, it just to be really honest, I'm not always the best at data. So I'm glad to have someone here who you're mixing it with marketing. You're really being driven by what the numbers tell you. So before we dig into kind of the metrics that you love, the processes behind them, I was curious how you started doing this. If you feel like you're I guess as a marketer, if you feel like you're somewhere that you're kind of half halfway doing what you're talking about or you need to get buy-in, how do you go about actually gathering information that you'll need to construct this data-driven growth process? Do you need to go advocate? Do you have to prove? Do you have to beg? What do you do? Yeah. You know, I think that's probably what led me into being so data-driven because, you know, when I truthfully started my marketing journey 12, 13 years ago, I was really more so on the creative side. I really loved marketing and the creative work that marketing can do. I, you know, thought I would be in advertising and I'd go down that path. And I quickly learned that you can't market and do the fun stuff without the money. You have to have budget and you have to have impact. And so to be able to really go out and advocate for some of the fun stuff I wanted to do, I had to know the numbers. I had to be able to you know, say, hey, I'd like to do this program and this is why. And so it kind of just organically happened through being able to justify. And an example of that here is coming into Jobvite. We have made the shift through multiple mergers and acquisitions from being kind of a more mid-market and SMB-focused business to moving up market into focusing on enterprise. And our product on the back end really supports the move to enterprise. But the challenge was shifting from one segment-focused to another means we've got to really move perception and awareness in the market space to really understand where we're moving. And when you go in and say, hey, I want to run a thought leadership campaign. I want to run a brand awareness campaign. Those are things that are hard to measure. And so at this point in my career, no, I've got to lead with data. I can't just come into a room and say, hey, I want to run this multi-million dollar awareness campaign. I need to have irrefutable data that tells that story so that I'm just really kind of the the mechanism of of providing that data. I'm just kind of the um the way that that data is presented. So what I did, the, one of the first things I had done when I came into this role was let's validate some of our thinking. Let's go and do customer marketing research. Let's do market research, brand, unaided awareness, brand awareness, and do qualitative and quantitative to understand where does the market view us today? And as a result of collecting that data, we were able to say, hey, we actually don't have an awareness issue. We have a perception issue or we have XYZ issue. And then we can build a strategy to then say, hey, we would like to ask for more money or we need to do XYZ. So I think data just really helps elevate and tell a story to then help you better advocate for what you want to do in your business. So yeah, it's just, it's come organically, you know, how I've got here and think from if a company is moving and wants to get into that direction, I think it's really just getting a list of what are the things you want to measure. I think starting at the very top, and I know we'll get into KPIs and what are those numbers will hold and getting into the details there. But I think it's really just asking the question on what are you trying to solve and then making sure you have all the right data to be able to answer that question on where you're at today. Yeah, I think what was important that I heard you say there is 
was important for you to have the data before you made the ask. You understood that something might not have been exactly right with the product, the go-to-market fit of this pivot into enterprise, but you needed something tangible to take to say, the reason I want to run program A is because I've seen this in our data. Here's some hard facts. A hundred percent. And, you know, it, it is so important to be able to do that because, you know, even coming into this organization or past experiences, there will be people on the teams that will say, hey, I've been saying this for months. I've been saying this for years. And, you know, the problem is getting the highest level leadership on board with what you're trying to accomplish. And without the data, it just becomes a more challenging conversation because it feels more of a matter of opinion and people have different perceptions. If you're talking to the CEO, he might feel the company is one way. If you talk to the sales leader, he might feel very differently. So level setting everybody on the same plane through data helps just have a really strong conversation because again, it's kind of irrefutable on saying, hey, here's just the reality of where we're at and here's my plan to fix where we're at and let the data kind of tell that story. Yeah, that actually flows really well into the KPIs that you had mentioned earlier. So what are some of those KPIs that you look into either specifically with DemandGen or that might be shared throughout the organization? Man, there are so many numbers. There are. So many. I mean, I'll just speak at at a high level, kind of the main KPIs that we look at. I think it's specifically around demand generation. Volume, velocity, and rate are the things that I really focus on. And if I'm being more specific, I'm talking lead to MQL, SQL, SQL pipeline, closed one rates. Those are kind of my core metrics that I look at. Those are the things that we look at weekly in our WBRs. We look at in our monthly reviews, like those are kind of the biggest indicators of our success and what our goals are tied to. But then, you know, for me, again, I I peel back the layers and, and get into the velocity. How quickly are things moving through our funnel and understanding how things are moving from lead to MQL, et cetera. That really does indicate the quality and and performance of those leads. So we look at that very regularly. And then looking at conversion rate by stage, understanding again how things are converting through. And then I really like to align all of that to the buying cycle. So I take those core metrics and look at our key segments that we have. For example, here we look at small business, mid-sized organization, and then enterprise, which the counts are kind of irrelevant, but we basically have three different segments we take our audiences into. And I look at the full funnel metrics and KPIs by those stages and look at the average time to close and then factor that in when I'm looking at these metrics for like a rolling 90. So let's just say it takes 90 days on average for an enterprise deal to close. I like to look at the data, not just at a snapshot month view, but like a rolling 90 day so I can see how the full life cycle of things move through and at what rate and stage. In addition to that, you know, addition to kind of breaking up those core KPIs and by segment, we really also look at that in terms of, you know, average deal size and take all of that to then really model out and forecast what we think we're going to get. And we we just today went through this exercise of re-looking at, you know, here's all of our KPIs, here's the velocity we think they're going to move, here's what we model out that we will be at at the end of the year. And that gives us a really good understanding of whether we're above plan, below plan, or on target based on our current performance. And so it really ends up just being a very mathematical exercise and marketing around performance. And then 
in addition to all that, and again, I told you, it's a lot of numbers, a lot of data and a lot of numbers. That's okay. Myself personally too, you know, I also, when I'm evaluating my team's performance, I look at the cost per lead, you know, the average customer lifetime value, looking at the SQO pipeline. And then I really like to look at it more importantly from a attribution stage. So how much is coming from sales? How much is coming from organic? How much is coming from marketing? And really, again, take that lens and that layer on all of the metrics I just said. So we take those core metrics and slice it 10 different ways. And it tells us different stories on how we can pivot and optimize our plan and pull levers where we need to. So hopefully that answers the questions. It's a lot of data. Absolutely. You did throw out a lot of numbers and a lot of data. I don't think that there are anything a good growth marketer hasn't heard before. I think what might be unique about it is that you're doing a really good job of then acting on it and or partnering with revenue or kind of doing the next step. And I would say too, that you're doing a good job of lining it all up into a cohesive program. So a few things for me to unpack in there. Why don't we start with how are you going about managing those relationships with the Rev organization? And specifically, how do you influence the numbers that they might look at for your performance? Very relevant conversation. You know, as part of the go-to-market strategy, you know, marketing, of course, is in here and in my previous organizations, marketing is responsible for the entirety of the funnel. Entirety meaning like the lead and MQL numbers down into SQL numbers, marketing is primarily responsible for. But we do know once you drive that demand, you know, and even if you're overachieving in that top funnel demand, it then becomes a very collaborative approach from MQL to SQO down through that funnel. And it depends on the organization setup. Here we have marketing driving those leads into our SDRs or BDRs, then into sales, and then down through that funnel. I think it's really important to have tight alignment across those. And so having in this exercise we are doing right now, you know, really looking at, okay, the volume of demand is here but we're noticing things aren't converting through as fast as we want them to. And so we then, you know, from my standpoint, from a data standpoint, we look at, okay, why are things slowing down or speeding up vice versa? In this case, relevant to me today, why are they slowing down? And then we look at it, we look at that data by channel. Like, are we, you know, maybe the quality of the demand has decreased, meaning maybe we attended an event and had a a large influx of, Somebody that attended an event that doesn't indicate they're necessarily ready to buy, it could be indicative of the different types of sources that we have. So maybe that's one of them. Maybe it's our, you know, the rep engagement. Maybe we need to look at it by individual rep activity. Maybe there are specific reps that are having a lower conversion rate. There, there are so many factors that we we look at the data to say, before I even bring it to sales, I will look to look at the story around what I'm seeing and then partner with sales to say, to try to build that relationship around, hey, you know, how do we solve this problem together? Because on both sides, you know, for us, we've got goals tied to each funnel stage. And in order to hit our revenue goal, we have to ideally meet or exceed each of those funnel stages. If one of those funnel stages slips, that bottom number really is impacted. So just having really tight alignment and looking to see what's where that downfall is. And in this case, it's really getting transparent with the relationship between the SDRs down into sales to understand 
kind of what is that behavioral path and what email sequences are they dropping people into? What's the time to touch? What's the priority of what leads they work first? Are they incentivizing certain types of accounts based on grade and score? Like really getting into the meat of that relationship. Are they treating different sources differently based on the unique experience that person had? So I think it's just really important to one, understand what's happening and then to bring in the right partners into the conversation, the sales leaders, the SDR leaders to then build a cohesive go-to-market plan on how you solve those things. So again, it all kind of does start back with the data. It does. And I'm curious if you, as you think about attribution, do you look at one sale that might've particularly had high velocity, AKA made it from showing up in your system to close quicker than the others? Or are you trying to look in aggregate to understand some of those macro signals, which, or maybe both? It is a little bit of both. I do think, you know, looking at the data at scale is important, like really understanding trends. So we do look at both, like we, we look at both. We certainly will look at, you know, aggregate of groups of people. I think, you know, something that we focus a lot on is propensity to buy data, understanding like lookalikes, like what type of customers, if we know, even on the existing business side of demand, if you've got a group of customers that are, they have high NPS scores, they have just really favorable ratings and they're using a lot of the products and you know their industry company size and, you know, buyer personas, we then take that and understand kind of high propensity to buy prospects that look like them and take that kind of approach to then applying that towards, you know, our existing business side of things as well. Like, hey, we've got this group of customers that look like these other high successful customers, but they're not using all our products. So that's an opportunity for us to potentially sell into those products because they're very high lookalike, high propensity. And take that also for non-existing customers and take that same approach. So we do that at scale. That is looking at kind of a group of customers based on performance. We also do look at like individual, especially on the enterprise side, you know, because you don't have the volume of scale there. So a lot of the times we will look at individual enterprise deals and look at behaviors. We do a lot of close one analysis that is actually interviewing and talking to those deals that churned. And so that is a one-to-one exercise where we really investigate what happened in that individual case to see if there's some things and see if there's any learnings from the individual account. So both is the answer. Of course, always. We heard in an earlier episode from Camille Trent, who was talking a lot about not making assumptions about your client. And that's kind of what I just heard you say is that if you've got a smaller data set, or even if you just know that you have some really successful clients, you can go to them and say, what was it about our product that is working for you so that you can learn from that and really in their own words, take it to the next client. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point. And this is truthfully, honestly, something that really, really got embedded in me, even at my time at Amazon. Like there was a a video I had watched of just Jeff Bezos and he was talking about this as well of like, the data is really just one side of the story. And it is true. The data is one side, but like the, also the anecdotal stories, like if you look, you can look at data and slice it so many ways to tell the story you want it to tell. And if you do that, it's like, sometimes you're missing really the bigger picture. You're missing really like the 
the reasons behind the why. And so I do think like to what you're saying, I think it's really important for us as marketers to also ask the why and understand. And I think that's where you get into really understanding that qualitative data and the anecdotes and really like talking, get out on, get on the phone, like get out there, do focus groups and interview and have panel discussions, have a customer advisory board, like really kind of mirror that, like the data is kind of directionally giving you really good insight, but also validate that through talking to customers. And I've got 10 examples I could tell you where sometimes the data assumptions are wrong when you start talking to people, they're not correlated. And so I do think it's really important to look and consider both. Yeah. Back in the days when I worked in customer experience, there was a jack-o'-lantern that was supposed to be scary because what was written on it is correlation equals causation instead of correlation does not equal causation. And I think it's that. It's story. You could have a lot of data. And I'm hearing this the more and more I talk to people for this podcast and for other spots in my life where, yes, the data is important, but you have to understand the business. You have to always be asking the why. So you can ask why one time and you'll get the answer. And the next question should probably be, okay, but why? Mm -hmm. So always searching for the deeper and deeper understanding of what's going on, adding anecdotally to that if, and it is needed to add anecdotally to that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that's why when I I reference kind of peeling back the layers, that's always the and why. Every layer is a and why of that. And that's something I've just very curious. Half of the time it is just curiosity, but the and why and and just not stopping until you get to that really deep understanding. And then even still not stopping and saying, okay, I kind of have the 10 and whys. Now I want to validate it by talking to a few folks. Yeah. Oh yeah. I like phrasing, like framing it that way. That makes a lot of sense. I'm going to ask a bit of a poke back at you. Just wondering, you've had access because you've been at where the places you've been at, you've had access to a lot of data. Do you think that that has helped you really grab onto this system more so than a marketer who might not have had access to such big swaths of data? That's a really good question. I mean, honestly, I I would say, yes, I think a little bit of an advantage of being in places that have really good infrastructure for data. You know, I mean, thinking back on my time, again, that startup mode mentality at Certify, we you know, we were a data-driven organization. I We certainly were, but we didn't have the infrastructure. We didn't have a Tableau. We didn't have really strong BI tools to tell us the full narrative. We didn't have multi-touch attribution systems and processes in place. So it was a little bit more kind of grassroots approach. Not to say we couldn't have, you know, data analysis and you couldn't still do that. There is a lot you can do without having those really powerful infrastructures in place. But it's just, it is more challenging and it's hard to even know where to lift up and kind of dig into. But again, I think if you had now, now knowing what I know now, going into a company like Amazon, where you've got multiple teams that are focusing on BI infrastructure and you've got yeah, you can look and slice the data in in any way you can imagine. Now, you know, obviously with my having that visibility, I would say now, knowing what I know now, I would prioritize that if I was a smaller organization or a startup, I would prioritize the data first and really set up the right mechanisms for that. If you had to kind of arm wrestle on where you want to invest 
I do think data is one of the things. And not that you need to have a really complex data warehouse and data lake and have it be this really overly expensive process, but invest in getting a license or two to Tableau or a Domo or something like that where you can aggregate your data because it is so important to understand your attribution and to understand where your business is being driven from. It can make you be so much more scrappy and frugal in the way you spend your dollars. So the investment there is is going to pay off in the end. But yes, now having the visibility to all of those, that is one of the first things coming into this role. You know, we did not have a BI infrastructure and that is something that we are investing and prioritizing. You know, as we move into the enterprise space, it is imperative that we have really good understanding of our performance. And so we are making those investments and and making sure we have the right visibility because we are still a little bit in that startup mentality when it comes to data and I just think it's really important to move the business in that direction. Yeah. And I think the reason I asked the question is I think a lot of organizations find themselves in a similar spot, no matter how big, how mature you are, is that marketing platforms for a long time have been disparate. They've all been solving for one thing or the other. But ultimately, what you're trying to understand is that full journey from someone finding you to someone buying from you and then keeping them happy as a customer. What is impacting all of this, what attribution can you truly give to each piece of this funnel? So I appreciate your honesty in saying you probably did have a leg up and I appreciate the honesty as well in saying that you don't always have to have that in order to start somewhere, but that it's a hugely important piece of understanding to grow. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for that, Ashley. I think this has been a really helpful conversation for me too. I learned a lot from you and I appreciate you just kind of outlining and understanding everything that we can be doing to see that full customer journey. So that does, however, bring us to the lightning round, if you're ready. I am ready. Okay. What keeps you up at night as a growth marketer? (sighs) I think one of the things that keeps me up currently, at least, is strategy and pushing strategy from awareness to thought leadership down into demand. You know, being a growth marketer, being focused on demand generation, it is inherently focused on that middle of funnel. People that are already typically in market, they're already aware of your product. Maybe not you specifically, but they have a need. They've self-identified a problem and they're out looking for a solution. That is a lot of time in that space is something that kind of is a measurable way to kind of tackle that. But the thing that keeps me up is really driving the strategy above that, the step up, the thought leadership, the awareness, the perception shift, and bringing the organization along in that journey with me to really understand the value of that and how it's, it is so critical to the down funnel metrics. And so I think that's just kind of consistently been a theme for me throughout my career is just really trying to get leadership to understand the value of needing to honestly double down on awareness and perception shifting so that you can have the long-term impact to the demand funnel. Well, you cannot have one without the other, and it's got to be a cohesive strategy And so bringing leadership and bringing others on that full journey is something that I think about often. Yeah. And I think even hearkening back to the very tip top of our conversation of understanding who needs to know what, how are you aligning with the different people, taking that up, down, telling the story that you see in the data and supporting with those anecdotes. Yep. Okay. What is a marketing campaign that you would love to run and or that you point to as like, that was genius? And not something that I've run, but something that I love. It could be something that you'd run. Like if you'd run it again, that's just as great. That is a really great question. Thanks. I thought of it. 
<laughs> it's because I want to know selfishly. It's like, hmm, what can I be doing here? I hate to say it because I think a lot of my examples I think of are some of the Amazon commercials. And I hate to say that just from my bias oh. of being there, but I really do like their some of their commercials that they have run and some of the ones that are related to like small businesses and tech, like the impact that Amazon has. Like I do think, especially in the in the time of COVID over the last couple of years, the impact that Amazon has had in the every everybody's life. Some of the commercials that, that they have had, like the ad spots they've had that touch on the importance of just the connectiveness of Amazon. And truthfully, it's really just they pull it like they pull at emotions often. And I think they do a really good job of like winning the hearts of the people that they're focusing on and seeing some of the international spots as well as we've expanded into other areas. Like I just think they really evoke a lot of emotion and connect really well with the people that they're trying to position their products for. So um, I, that's what comes off the top of my head. I'm sure there's 10 other great examples, but I think what you're ultimately saying is they've done a great job of really understanding what their customer needs and saying in a way that's compelling, we've got it. Absolutely. Yes. I am very much tied to emotion when it comes to advertising. And it is more so in the B2C space, but I think, you know, brands that can evoke emotion and can really connect with an audience and their need. Yeah. I do think those, those are what lead to really good commercials, but little bit more challenging when you're talking about HR tech and a little bit harder to connect on an emotional level, but. Yeah, I was going to say there is a discussion on LinkedIn kind of at all times of like, shouldn't all marketing actually be B to H? It's business to human. It's you did that. And it's like, yeah, but I would agree with you that I don't think you can craft a tear jerking narrative around my HR technology is really going to help you. Maybe you can. Maybe that's what you should go over to someone and say, this, Maybe is, your that's, new, this is your new brief. Yes. that's. I need to push this for our thought leadership campaign. Some tear jerking <laughs> ad campaign. All right. I look forward to seeing what comes out of this discussion. Um, I'll happy to take a little bit of credit for that. Of course. Of course. Okay. One that does not have to do with marketing. Where is the best place you have traveled? One of my most fondest trips that I've been on, I think, is I went to Marseille, hopefully pronouncing it correctly, but Marseille, France, the coast of France, before COVID, three or four years ago. And it was just an incredible trip. I truthfully ate croissants all day long and was on the hunt for macarons everywhere. And it was just it was my most favorite trip. It was beautiful and the food was amazing. I would go back there in a heartbeat. I'm pretty sure France in the paperwork, it says you have to eat one croissant every day or we won't let you out of the country. Yes, I followed that guideline very well. (laughs) Well, they're (laughs) delicious too, so that helps. Last lightning round question. What was your pandemic cliche? The thing that I picked up during the pandemic, which I'm not saying that because I'm on a podcast here today, but truthfully, it was a podcast. I... I did not listen to podcasts before the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, I think because I was home and I had to force myself to get out and go for more walks because if not, I would be in my home all day, every day. And so I started going on a lot more long walks. And so I would listen to podcasts on all of my walks. And so I have now got a handful of podcasts that I live and die by and listen to and wait for them to come out on a weekly basis. And it's a habit that has not yet died yet. 
All right. Well, hopefully we'll add Frozen content to your list and hopefully it's just as valuable for you to listen to as it will be for people to listen to you. So I will say thank you one more time for joining me. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you. And my final question that I've asked every person so far that I've hosted is just, what would you like listeners to take away from this conversation? I would focus, I mean, just the importance of data. I think the importance of like, you cannot measure what you can, or you cannot impact what you cannot measure. And don't be intimidated by systems and processes that require you to understand data. Start small and, you know, start with just the basic KPIs and and build upon that. You don't have to have the entirety of an infrastructure to get started. Just, you know, one bit of data at a time can help you start to unravel the story. I love that. I think that's a great spot to wrap up on. So thank you again so much. If people would like to connect with you, where is the best place? Uh, You can LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn, of course, would probably be the best way. All right. We'll link to that in the show notes. And I will say one more time, thank you so much. It's been really great to chat with you. Yes. Thank you, everyone. Have a good day. Thanks. And to our listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to Pros and Content wherever you found us. This season, we spoke with digital growth and demand and marketers about sharing how they use audience journey strategy and metrics to accelerate business growth. Thanks for listening to Pros and Content. Don't forget to subscribe if you found this episode informative. This season, we're focused on how marketers prove their contribution to business growth at all stages of the funnel. Find more episodes wherever you're listening and learn more about uncovering your organization's true audience journey at notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H dot com.